Kan du skrunde litt? Det er en podcast som handler om gitar. Til nu så har vi stort sett dekt norske gitarister innenfor pop, rock, blues, sånne sjangere. I dag skal vi snakke med en sørafrikansk gitarist som har specialiserat sig på att kombinere klassisk gitar med vestafrikansk koramusik. Kora er harpe med en hemstrenga. Han spiller helt sinnssykt med kompet seg selv mens han spiller masse melodier. Det er utrolig uh, vakkert å høre på. Uh, jeg snakket med han i høst når han var og spilte under Oslo World Music Festival. Jeg håper at dere tar tid, har tatt dere tid til å høre på det, for det er helt vanvittig lærerikt og fint. I dag skal vi snakke med Derek Gripper. What's this? Ok, I guess we're rolling. Cool. Derek, Derek Gripper, welcome. It's such a pleasure to have you here. Thank you. Uh, have you been to Norway a lot of times? I have. I, I worked um, here with um, Andreas Ursa, mm-hmm. who um, I don't know if you're familiar, but he is a, a wonderful guitarist uh, coming from the fingerstyle tradition, steel string uh, tradition, and he took on uh, Norwegian fiddle uh, music and translated it to guitar and also to his kind of it's a eight string so four course guitar yeah um that he, that he plays and had specifically made for him to play this music tuned in fifths uh to approximate the kind of like a violin, violin tuning yeah so we've worked together for a number of years and I've, I've went up to Trondheim to work with him um to do concerts together and we played the transform festival last uh, as a trio with uh Debashish Bhattacharya from India North Indian slide guitarist nice <clears throat> okay so you're so you're kind of familiar with the with the whole um uh climate and stuff oh my gosh <laughs> yeah it's just it's, it's vicious it is it's vicious yeah it's a bit better now but uh, yeah you were getting yeah, there you can say what you yeah, like yeah. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's so cool you're here uh for the uh Oslo World Music Festival uh and uh you're performing uh, uh as we're recording you're performing tonight yeah Right. In Oslo, and that's a solo show. Solo show. And you've been there for a couple of days? Yeah, I got here two days ago. Yeah. And, uh, I was teaching a master class at the university yesterday. Oh, nice. Yeah. So, I guess uh, a lot of people have heard you here, but also there's um, a lot of people that's, n- that's not uh, that familiar with your uh, uh, work. Yeah, I'm sure more of the latter. Yeah, it could be. <laughs> yeah. So, I guess... Uh maybe we could just uh, start uh real quick with uh, uh maybe you could explain a bit around the guitar style that mm. you're currently sure. yeah that you've been working with for okay. some years now. So I play classical I'm a classical guitarist by training and um I became fascinated in about 2000 um by a, one album by a, a chorus player called Tumani Diabate. The kora is a harp lute, so it's it's a harp. It doesn't have fretted, you know, it doesn't have a fretted neck, but it has a it has a bridge like a lute, and it has 21 strings, 21 string harp, which means it's basically three and a half octaves like the guitar. Mm. And it, and Tumani especially, um, you know, the traditional kora playing is pretty interesting, rhythmically cyclical, amazing music with very uh, fiery, uh, you know, improvisations. 
Tumani's version is a very um, unique. Uh, he 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 brings in like you know bass line, and then he has accompaniment. So, so I heard this music and I was, I just thought, coming from Cape Town, South Africa, playing classical guitar music, this has all the elements that one would want in guitar music. You know, it's it's cyclical and it's got this whole like trance element to it, but it's also complex and virtuosic and contrapuntal and everything. But I, you know, I thought probably you'd need to build some kind of guitar for it because, you know, to keep a bass line going and then to have these melodies on top, uh, you know, how, how could you possibly do it? And so I, I put it aside as a project, but I, I was composing a lot of music, so I, I wrote music with some of the, the kind of sounds, you know, that, that, that they do on the, on the chorus. Mm. And, but then in around 2011, 2012, I started to realize that I could see that this was a composer and that I could play his music like another composer. So I started transcribing his music, retuning my guitar, finding tunings that worked and really specifically honing in on, on what he was doing and kind of learning the pieces really. And, and that got me into a whole, you know, completely different guitar style really in a whole different way of playing and approaching the instrument, approaching improvisation uh, and everything like that. And I've, yeah, I've ended up with a, a, a very large repertoire of, of African music of, uh, by great virtuosos um, from other instrumental, other instruments, you know. Wow. Um, but, playing, but playing it in a classical, you know, playing with the technique of classical guitar, but also changing the classical guitar technique because obviously there's much more groove, there's much more like, you know, punctuation and, and things going on in this music than there is in traditional classical guitar music. Absolutely. How do you feel about the... Um you know that's often like a thing if you play in uh, in like a uh, more popular music content. If you play with like a uh, orchestra playing, you know the dotted eights and all that's as as uh, it can be difficult to uh, kind of get the whole uh, groovy thing going with a uh, with an orchestra. Did you have to? Do you have like a background from other? Uh, musical styles other than classical or was it like a whole learning process for you to, to no I had a background of different styles I I was playing uh, bass in bands I was playing class, classical violin piano I was playing classical guitar I was listening to you know a lot of different music I, I studied uh, South Indian classical music in Chennai mm -hmm. in India I studied especially the rhythmic um, um, solkatu they call it the, the vocalized rhythms oh, yeah. that they learn um you know, gatam and, and the, the percussion instruments in the south. Um, and I also spent quite a few years exploring the music of the Western Cape, around Cape Town, the rural, rural areas, and um, composing new music with, with this as a basis. Uh, my first album is called Sachtefle. It's uh, I was playing viola on that album with a string quartet and a trumpeter called Alex van Heerden. And we... Yeah, we created like a, a minimalist avant-garde take on, on, on the music there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so you have, so it wasn't like a, a big thing for you to try, try to kind of like recreate the swing or the feel of. No, the, of the, the feel was alright. Yeah, it was just a yeah. big thing to work out how to find the notes on the guitar. You know. Yeah, of course. But how do you solve that? Uh, like tuning-wise, do you tune very differently now? Or yeah, so I tune differently. Um, 
you know, about a year before I was doing it, I was playing a lot of Spanish vihuela music from the 1500s. They have this incredible tablature music. You know, I don't know if you know about it. Yeah, it's kind of just barely. Yeah. It's, it's like fantastic. a lute tradition. It's fantastic. Well, it's, it's a guitar tradition in the sense that it's a guitar-shaped instrument, mm -hmm. but it's a 12-string kind of guitar. So it's, it's yeah. six courses. But what's amazing about the vihuela is there's, there's a tradition of tablatures of seven composers that survived their complete works. And they're guitar tabs like you find now. Oh, yeah. Except some of them, except uh, the earliest uh, composer, but the rest, the, the later six, the tablature's upside down, so the high string's at the bottom. So it's right. a mirror image, you know, when you're looking at the score, the bottom string is the bottom string on your guitar, you know, so that's, that's the bottom of the page, and that's the top of the wow, page. Wow, that makes like, sense. Like on the guitar, wow. you know, it makes yeah. total sense. So I taught myself to play that, use that, play that tablature, and I spent a lot of time. So they, they, their tuning is, um, their tuning is, uh, so if we take it from standard, mm -hmm. they take the, the F, the, the G is down to F sharp. Mm -hmm. So you get that. What's interesting about it is it's very simple guitar music. It's all first position. Mm -hmm. I'm using a capo now, so that you know, because it's a smaller instrument. Yeah. Um, it's all it's all first position, and it kind of uses the guitar like a harp. You always stopped strings are always referring to open strings, and it gets this kind of really resonant type of playing and and music, and obviously the flow of the of the of the notes because you always have an open string to hammer on, hammer off, you know. So I was playing a lot of that, and then I suddenly hit upon uh, a slightly altered tuning uh, through a few other tunings, um, which was this tuning and then dropping the D. Mm -hmm. And this gets gets the Chora tonalities, which is basically a Lydian scale. Yeah. Or major. And then they have about four chords. So there's the first one, which was like, would be like a D. A D chord, but we're we're hearing it in F now because of the capo. Um, and then a B, C sharp, all the fourths. So you have those basic chords, and then you can get a, you can, those two same scales coming out of this note. Ah, oh, yeah, right. Or so four four modes, two tonalities, two keys. And and it worked in this tuning very well. And then, so I was able to, the first one I transcribed was called Tubaka. Mm -hmm. And it, um, I, it, I took many, 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 many hours writing, writing little, like one note at a time, you know. And I finally finished it. And it turned out it was originally a guitar piece before it was a chorus piece. <laughs> it was? Yeah. So wow. I was kind of reinventing, but it's a, it's a beautiful piece. It's got, it's got a, quite a complex harmony. And then this melody going over the top. Which is a, like a constant improvisation, almost or constant ornamentation of the.
wow. that type of that's that type beautiful. of thing. Yeah. yeah, it's a really interesting um, style, and yeah, so that's been developing, and that's what I do. And you've been doing that since uh, like the early two thousand, two thousands. So I was playing, I was playing classical guitar, and I, and then I started. Then I decided, no, I don't want to be playing this music. You know, it's irrelevant to me, and I. I I was playing an eight-string guitar at the time. Okay. Um, it had a high A string and a low B string mm-hmm. for fan frets, and you played it upright like a cello with an N pin. Yeah. You know, um, it was a system developed by a, a Scottish guitarist called Paul Galbraith. So I made my first album on that, and I, I, I wrote a series of very simple pieces based on Western Cape music, which is very cyclical, um, diatonic, uh, sort of trancey kind of music. And I, I wrote these you know, pieces that were kind of a little bit, you know, they were one was influenced by Takemitsu, the Japanese composer. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and so I, I did that on the eight, eight string guitar. Then I, um, I, I really wanted to find a better guitar. And I ended up getting this guitar. It's uh, made by Hermann Hauser in uh, Reisbach, Germany. Right. The Hauser family became famous in the 30s because Hauser made a guitar for Andre Segovia. Mm-hmm. And Segovia played all of his main concerts for the 30 years. Um, on that guitar oh, that's that now at yeah. the Metropolitan Gallery in New York and this this guitar is made from the same piece of wood as, as houses and it's a it's a special kind of um, design that is a, for the first time ever the Viennese school of guitar making which is a very separate school of guitar making and the Spanish school fused because Segovia gave Hauser his Ramirez and said measure it copy it and make this guitar you know so he made a guitar he made 10 or 15 guitars over 10 years and eventually gave him one that Segovia said, this is the guitar of the epoch, you know, the greatest guitar, because it had the soul of the Spanish guitar, but it had this Teutonic engineering behind it. So it was, it was, you know, it was in tune and perfect and, and all, all, you know, balanced. And it had this ability to project in a concert hall because Segovia didn't use amplification and he was playing to up to 3,000 people. Just without any miking. Without any miking. Yeah. So it has this amazing ability. <coughs> what happens is all the overtones, um, all the overtones gets focused into the actual sound. So often when you play a guitar, you hear this like bar of, of, of harmonics. But this guitar, it's very clean. Mm-hmm. You don't, you're not hearing anything on top. Everything goes into that sound and it somehow creates this forward you know, motion. And then what happens if I play two notes, you hear this kind of rumble. And it has, it has wonderful, very subtle qualities, which when amplified, paradoxically, become really incredible you know so i've taken awesome, it, i've like, taken it into the amplification realm you know and yeah so that's what i've been playing ever since and i i, wrote, I made two albums of my own music like that and a few collaborations one with a tabla player from india and one with uh, a double bass player and trumpet player from south africa and then in 2012 i released an album called one night on earth which was mm-hmm. the music of tumani diabate balakesi soko ali farakature arranged for six string guitar and I actually six months before that I did a, a, a record of music by myself and also Egberto Gismonti the Brazilian guitarist translating his ten string guitar music onto six string yeah wow but that, what's the what's the what's like the the main difference though between the the Spanish and the German tradition if you go into hey like if you that, look at those Viennese guitars I mean they don't look like guitars they're like they're like steam engines. I mean, they look the weirdest looking things and they've got a totally different design and they had, they're actually a lot like a modern electric guitar because they had, they had adjustable necks 
some of them right, you know yeah. they had truss rods and they had things and they got a different kind of joint and the sound is very different it's not this open sunny round sound smaller bodies lower actions uh yeah cool when you're in the uh when we're into the whole classical world um you tune to like a different uh, uh differently than the normal like 440 or do you oh that's a mis. Uh, you know i have it's not pur- on purpose i've had people writing to me and saying you know there's all these people who, con- who talk about 440 is not the right resonance of the cosmos it's supposed to be 332 or something like that oh uh, yeah and i had a guy who wrote to me and he said your album one night on earth is tuned to 332 whatever it is i can't remember now and you know is there any you know reason behind that and yeah, the other reason behind that is i have a tuning fork that i got when i was six when i did my first violin lesson and a tuning fork got a bit of superglue on it because I had superglue in my guitar case for nails, you know, sometimes. So the superglue made it a bit different sound low, I think. And that's just why. I was just using the tuning fork and it was out of tune, <laughs> I think. And maybe also the capo also pushes it out. So yeah. uh, I'm not really concerned with the pitch. I'm, con- I'm more interested in the temperament, you know. So with guitar, we're really stuck with equal temperament. An equal temperament came about so that pianists could modulate into different keys without having to retune. Yeah. You know, and it's a very new thing and it's a very Western centric thing. And it <laughs> sadly now, you know, ninety percent of Cora players have a guitar tuner attached to the Cora, which is crazy because the Cora doesn't modulate. So there's no reason except to play with a guitarist or a pianist to tune a Cora to equal temperament. And yeah. really the beauty of the Cora is every tuner every musician had his own idiosyncratic tuning and the resonance and, and you know that, that's all kind of gone anyway I, I, I tried to get down go down that road I studied the the music of Harry Potch American microtonal mm-hmm. just intonation composer um, and I designed the guitar it was an eight string guitar with movable fretboards um, so you could take the fretboards off the magnets and I had I had a 31 tone equal temperament fretboard which is a fretboard that most approximates um uh, an overtone system over the fifth overtone because we we use the fifth overtone as our kind of generating system and that's the harmonies that we use but the seventh overtone is a whole new sound and the eleventh is a whole new sound and so yeah I experimented with this but you know the problem the problem with that is that you end up destroying the actual architecture and sound of the guitar which is very simple yeah so it is. and especially now this guitar that I'm playing obviously I can't pull the fretboards off and and also it would just ruin it and so i i make do now by i tune the strings slightly differently i think um not consciously but if i checked with the tuner they'd be wrong and i also bend i bend a lot change the pitch a lot you know but all just you know kind of intuitively but i'm stuck pretty much close in equal temperament yeah but it's nice though i just heard when i just heard through the different albums just like kind of back to back to kind of Mm -hmm. hear the difference it's just either I just I just find it really refreshing that it it's it's obviously that you it's not too much of a concern for you. You just yeah. it's kinda of like I don't care, I just <laughs> yeah. play the Yeah. And it's also nice to have like the, the tuning fork, which could be like a, I remember one guy told me about the Richie Blackmore, he put like a an extra tuning peg or something on top of his uh Yeah. On top of his uh, Stratocaster head. And everyone was just like, "What is? What, what's the thing? What does it do? What does it do?" And then one of the guys in the band had to ask him one night, just like, "Okay, I'm sorry, I have to ask. What's the tuning base?" Just like, you know, I have to have something that people should ask me about. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> so just 
to have like a uh, well I took the super glue off the tuning fork now so my next, my next album will probably be in, in, in 440 okay but then you'll uh, <laughs> then people will write the new mails too yeah yeah exactly I've lost touch with the cosmos <laughs> but is I'm that like team. a big thing in the classical world though uh, to ha- that like uh, the pitch has become yeah, higher correct. and higher Uh, you know, I had an years. interesting conversation with Hauser about this. This is my guitar maker. I, yeah. I visited him recently to pick up a guitar for for a, a, a friend of mine. And he said that the pitch of the instrument, because you know guitars, the body the body has a pitch, right? Mm-hmm. And that is tuned by the maker. I don't know how it works with steel strings so much. but I think it's kind of like the same. You can tune them. Yeah. yeah. You, so, so the body of my guitar is just around G, but slightly off a G. So you don't want it to be the actual G because then you get these boomings. So they do, it's a, but it's around G. Um, and he said that in, you can actually see the bodies of the guitars going up and down according to like the kind of collective stress around the makers. So he said, and his family has been making guitars since uh, like 100 years now. Mm-hmm. And he's, he, he told me like through, you know, the German history and the war and then it went up went up to G sharp and then it went down and was F sharp before the war and you know really and uh, wow. you know so that's interesting that's really interesting though shit <laughs> okay but that's cool that's good that's, like that's really nice and extremely nerdy info though yeah so I mean he's like that you couldn't have a complete geek out with, with, with Herman because he you know he's he's third generation builder mm-hmm. his grandfather designed this guitar So him and his father and his grandfather have been making this particular guitar with three or four variations for 800 years. Wow. And he said to me the last time I visited him, he rarely went in detail in, in, you know, into the, the process. Like he showed me the, a bridge and he said, yeah, my, my, my grandfather or my father showed me how to make this bridge. And they said it would take an hour and a half. And that's how long it still takes me today. And I still get up every morning and I start at eight o'clock and I finish at six. And that's what I've been doing with my father and my grandfather. And and the wood is stored up in the roof. He's still in the same workshop. He's still working on his grandfather's desk, which is a special kind of French desk, which comes out so the guitar can be held. And he's, I'm still looking for another one of these because they're very difficult to find. And all the wood's up there. And he is collecting wood now for two generations ahead. Oh. So he is using, my wood was from his grandfather. And maybe he's using wood from his father sometimes, but then my, my guitar is one a year. He makes a special edition with this, with this old wood. Hey, do they go really well? It's uh, 14 for that. Yeah. <laughs> so there, so so, and now his daughter is making guitars, Katrin Hauser. Oh, and wow. And she's making incredible guitars. And mm. the Hauser is the most copied classical guitar um, out there. And nobody can get that sound, those things I talked about, how the overtones work, how the mm. two strings ring together. There's something that they're doing there. And Katrin's guitars, already from her first guitar, which I played, has it already. So they have some little voodoo family secret, which they're not letting on. And when you ask him, he smiles and turn, changes the subject. <laughs> you know? So it's a, it's a wonderful place to go. They, the machine heads were made by the Reichel family, who've just retired now, but they're handmade as well. Okay. Um, Does he have like a storage of those as well? No, he doesn't. So now they're being made by Scheller, I think. Mm-hmm. Okay. So he's, that's changed. Yeah. Um, I just actually had to, uh, because I, re, I do a lot of retuning mm-hmm. and also quite extreme retunings. So I wasn't oiling the, the cogs ever. Oh. And and my cogs actually wore down completely until they just snapped. The cogs got thinner and thinner until like a knife. And then one day they just snapped off. Wow. And there were no cogs. 
And luckily, he actually managed to phone the family and they found some in the workshop for me. And so I managed to get them going again because otherwise I would have had to replace the, the, the machine head. So now I'm trying to whirl them. <laughs> But that's so nice though, just like in the... In this old world, though, like extreme factories making millions and millions of yeah, he makes thirteen or fourteen a year. Oh, that's so and his beautiful. father. What's interesting is he's made thirteen or fourteen a year. Like his father and his grandfather, they said no more than that. The the price is also the same. Yeah, which is crazy. You go speak to this guy, the, the tradition, the woods, the thing, and you think he should be charging so much more because it's it's you know. But yeah. the price is still with with obviously with inflation. Yeah. So this tradition is there in every aspect of what they do, in a way, and he's just stuck with that. So no more than fourteen, no journeyman working for him or anything like that. He's got an assistant, and obviously his daughter making separately. Uh, but it, it's it's a wonderful. You really every time I go there, I get a I get this jolt of wow. Okay, I'm playing this guitar. I'm actually part of this amazing tradition and this incredible thing which is really just on another from another planet. Yeah. It's from a complete another planet what they what they're doing and the kind of attention to detail. And then I just forget about it and I have it in my guitar case and I bang it around and I play it <laughs> and, you know, and when I go to him, you know, for at least three or four hours afterwards, I'm very careful with my guitar. <laughs> and I treat it really nicely because he always gets cross with me. <laughs> But do you, do you only bring that guitar when you when you mm. travel? I only have I have two I have two guitars at the moment. Um I have this guitar. Um, and then I have a Hauser three as well. This is a Hauser three, um, which is a ten string guitar. Okay, yeah. And I, I got it uh, a few years back because I wanted to play the music of Egberto Gismonti, who plays ten string guitar, but he uses high strings on the on the thumb side. So he's got a bass and a high and a bass and a high, and then the standard six. Oh, really? treble yeah. treble strings. Yeah. So you can do these wonderful like ostinatos, but in the treble. Mm -hmm. And I haven't been playing that guitar because. This guitar took me over 10 years to play in, you know. I mean, it, it, it sounded incredible when I got it, but it was it was perfect. And it was clean and, you know, precise. Yeah. And sometimes that was irritating. And now I've played it in and it's completely changed. And so every time I pick up the 10 string, I just go, oh my God, I can't do this again. You know, I can't go through this process again. It's like bringing, it's like, you know, your, you know, it's like your child is... 15 and they're about to leave home and then suddenly you have a new baby i was no send it away yeah <laughs> <laughs> but it's so so cool when you play like i guess i i imagine you play uh quite a lot of shows uh during a year i don't know how many uh shows do you yeah play. i'm doing like 60 70 a year yeah and it's so nice like after a couple of years if you only play like one instrument yeah What happens then? Because like the whole guitar yeah, tunes differently, oh, and it's, it's the whole you, you, you kind of get to know that you can just tune it slightly if you hear it yeah. falls out of tune, and then ah, oh, it's no, a, it's a long-term relationship. It and, is, and it's and it's one of the more successful ones that I've had. <laughs> <laughs> I've made a lot of you know like totally different things on this guitar, and I listen back and I think wow, and I see pictures, and it's changed. The colors completely changed. It you know it's uh, everything's and it's. Yeah, that's kind of what I, I feel like. I play this guitar more than I play guitar. You know? Like I, I don't know what I, you know. I, it's a very specific instrument, and you have to spend two or three weeks with one of these guitars to really understand what makes it different. You, know, wow. you really have to. It's very subtle things. And now, if I pick up a normal classical guitar, or you know, even if it's a wonderful maker, I can't play it. I'm like, oh no, you know, no, and it's, everything's not there. You know that I'm used to. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I think that's that right? that's my thing. I you know I I thought I could play another guitar, 
and the 10 string would be great and you know obviously the resources the musical resources and i still i get excited about it when i'm on tour and i think oh when i get home i'm going to do that and i get home and i pick it up and i fix it and get the strings going and then i play it for three minutes and then i put it back in the case <laughs> but, but it's a and also that's the whole uh, the practical side of it you know, when you travel if you do like a lot of songs on that guitar you always have to bring two as well no I would never bring two guitars no, no. bringing one is bad enough <laughs> no I would just play one I would play yeah. one I would play but you one. tune a lot during shows as well do you yeah like, yeah, yeah. But I guess uh, you talked about like the generations of uh, uh, guitar makers. Uh, another thing with generations is like the whole Kora uh, mm. or the African, uh, what's it called, Jolly or the yeah, the Jolly, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. the, the or the Grill. That's amazing tradition, amazing. Uh, which I guess uh, Tumani uh, Diabata he. He's like, I don't know, I just read somewhere that he's like the 60th or 70th yeah. generation or something. It's just like hundreds and hundreds of years. Yeah, that's not, that. it's not true. Um, he's not, it's not, you know, he says it's the 70th generation of Cora player. He's probably about a third generation Cora player mm -hmm. because he's, was, his grandfather was, I think, the first in the family to play the Cora. Okay. Yeah. Um, but there's this myth that's, that's, you know, he's also, you know, encouraged. Yeah. But he's a, he's ob <laughs> he, he is very likely to agree from, from that long. You know, um, it's not possible to to say, but, you know, um, but it's a long tradition. I mean, the griots, you know, in the family Diabate, they've been griots for hundreds of years. Yeah, and the griot is if you if you can just like uh, kind of like sum it up in like a small. It's, you're basically the griots are like the they differ from sort of a troubadour or something because they have a very specific role in society as a as a matchmaker, peacemaker, history keeper. They they tell you who you are. Mm -hmm. You know, and their job is to know the history of each family name and to be able to sing that family name um, at a wedding, at a social gathering, wherever. So they will be attached, they will have patrons, and it's a very complex patronage system which runs inside the griots. You'll have you know, higher griots paying down to lower griots for the lower griots to sing the history and names of the higher griots mm -hmm. and up to the patrons who are not griots. So there's this hierarchy all the way down and everybody has to support them the people below them and if they don't they it's they cursed you know it's it's they've really sewn up the music industry hundreds of years ago and we should really learn from them yeah <laughs> you know and the, and sure you can download my album for free but you may find that you know yeah <laughs> it's so, nice so they, that's what they are and so you um, and you, you, you're born into a Griot family and you learn the music, you hear the music all the time and you end up playing or singing or whatever it is that you do. And you usually learn from an uncle, not your father, but you, yeah, and it's passed in the family. And they're, they're specific families that are Griot family, mm -hmm. the Abates. So that's why you'll see a lot of, you know, you'll see the same names coming up because those are the families of musicians. Yeah. Bach is very similar. In, this, in Bach's time, if, if a church musician died and they put an advert out to look for a new church musician, they'd say, we're looking for a new Bach. Because there were so many members of the Bach family who were working in churches and that it was like, it was the name for, you know, it was a griot name, you know. And the griot names are Diobate, Sissoko, you know, and that's, you'll, you'll hear them coming up. Nice. And it's not Kriate. all it's core players. It could be like it's no. a, a variety of different instruments. Core is the newest instrument mm -hmm. of the griots, besides guitar, which is now a griot instrument as well, but in a yeah. different style to what I play. Um, balafon is probably the oldest instrument. It's mm -hmm. a xylophone. Um, that's definitely probably the oldest. And then Ngoni, yeah. uh, which is like a guitar-like fretless lute. Um, dugout 
lute, probably the ancestor of the banjo. Yeah. Um, that's one of the older ones. Koro is probably two, three hundred years old in its present form, but those types of hunter's harps were from were really happening. But you know, in the twenty-one string one that is popular now is, is a more recent one, which is why you know there's not seventy-two generations of Koro players. No, no, it's of only because they're not seventy-two <laughs> generations of Koro players anyway. I get it. Okay, that's interesting. Have you worked uh, on a lot of other stuff than than core music? Like, have you uh, like studied uh, Goni music or worked with players of different? I haven't done much in Goni music because it's hard. To, you know, it's hard to find solo in Goni music. Mm -hmm. um, that really, you know, the core music that I've transcribed is from a very small group of really unique players, like Tumani Balake, and and a generation older. The last album I made, Libraries on Fire was three generations, the work of three generations of Kora players. Yeah. So the people that influenced Tumani and also Tumani's son and, and Tumani and Balake in the middle. So it's very unique, this instrumental thing. You know, most Ngoni recordings, the Ngoni is accompanying singing. So I would love to do that. I messed around with this like... I messed around a little bit with, with those kind of sounds, yeah. but it's I haven't done it with the same kind of focus. Um, yeah, I, but other than other than the choral music, you know, I play a lot of Bach, mm -hmm. and my my thing is to inform my Bach playing with with the practice with with the type of playing that I've learned from the griots. So to All understand right. that Bach, because you know we don't know how Bach played, we have no idea. No. You know, imagine I always say, imagine three hundred years from now, you find you you read a review that someone found in the newspaper about a Keith Jarrett concert, and you get you get a transcription of the Cologne concert. And then you try to reconstruct what jazz sounded like, you know, and no one's been playing this, those instruments for hundreds of years and in a whole concert of music. And you're never going to come up with the same thing. And that's what Bach is. And of course, the classical, classical musicians have totally co-opted this as their tradition, yep. which is complete nonsense. You know, I mean, you're probably better off, as Andreas will tell you, you're probably better off studying Norwegian fiddle music if you want to understand what Bach's about. Probably, yeah. You know? Because you're talking about a living, breathing tradition that has roots in dance, has roots in folk, you know. And you know, yeah. so, so I, I, you know, I've done it through. How would you know? How would Tumani play a piece by Bach? And also, just how would I play it? Because now I play like that. Oh so, uh, yeah, because you feel that that has become like your. Yeah, it's my way of playing. Of, yeah. So if I play, if I play something, if I play something that maybe a guitarist would play emphatically, you know? <laughs> With an idea of the, of the rhythms as they're written. But, you know, that's someone who's, who's, who's reading an English book, having never heard English, but reading it phonetically. You know, but if you, if you knew, if you spoke the language, we don't know how he spoke, but if I... something and then I've also changed the tuning how I play back I'm using I've, I've got a whole system of uh, tuning oh, um, to be able to get a wide variety of keys with the same open yeah. um, f first position you know playing resonant playing yeah so I, I, I've expanded uh, the shift that you have from the from standard tuning to lute tuning when the major third between G and B mm -hmm. moves between D and F sharp I continue that down 
So you end up with four or five tunings. Oh, for things. Yeah. So you have like a D major tuning, which is the lute tuning, so the D and the F sharp. And then you have an A major tuning, the A and the C sharp, also with the F sharp still there. And then an E major tuning, the A with the E in the bass, obviously, and then G sharp and, and, and up. So the major third is moving in the guitar. In the, in the lute tuning, it's right in the center, uh, yeah, which is why true. it's such a wonderful tuning. Yeah. But then you can take it down, you know, one string. So then it'll be between the fourth and fourth and fifth string and then between the sixth and sixth and fifth string yeah <laughs> wow, and that allows really you deep. to get a whole range of tuning so to show you like this is this is lute tuning now so now my my major third is here between d and d and f sharp and obviously we're transposing because i've got a capo yeah um so if i take my d string down a semitone and if i take my a string down a semitone so now you have B minor bar, but all, all out of tune. and guitarist would do. <laughs> yeah, it's different. <laughs> yeah, so. and it uh, doesn't have the same, like, uh, it's not that fluent. It's not that fluent and resonant, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, especially in that, I mean, the Chacon is a great example of this piece, you know, the famous. Yeah, yeah. So this is how guitarists all, all have always played it, in D minor, standard tuning. Yeah. Now, if you take flute tuning, and you pop your cap on the third fret, your, your D minor is one string and two open, two, two, zero, zero. Yeah. So... so much sense yeah <laughs> wow oh wow that's really cool but uh, so the, but um, you think you're gonna uh, record are you like planning on doing like a Bach album or yeah, it's, finished. Like it's finished yeah I finished so I did a Bach album in 2009 which was standard tuning and yeah. not where I wanted to go so <laughs> now and I I did again one when I did libraries on fire I the same day I did a Bach album but I wasn't happy with it and it was because I still was using standard tuning um, and the resonance was completely different and I was recording exactly the same space same microphone same day mm -hmm. but it was thin it sounded like a steel string guitar yeah. and, the, and the, the chorus music just sounded really open and amazing so that really convinced me that I had to go back and learn all these complicated pieces and new tunings so that's when I started um, developing this tuning thing so in February, I think of the year, January, I recorded the first Sonata and Partita by, by Bach. The original was sort of violin. And that's going to come out in February next year, I think. Nice. Um, slowly but surely. But is that the whole tuning thing? Is that like, a, is there anyone else doing that? Or do you think you have just kind of like... <laughs> I don't think anyone's doing that particular tuning. I mean, I'm sure there are people who are using those tunings individually. I don't know how they think about it. I know classical guitarists 
aren't they never tune differently no so there's no one doing like i'm playing lute pieces on a classical guitar or that's not like a they do it but they do it in stand tuning yeah, yeah, like yeah, classical yeah. guitar yeah and maybe oh. they'll do the lute tuning they'll they'll tune the g string to f sharp but the other tunings i don't think okay that people are doing but who knows there's all sorts <laughs> of crazy people out there doing it like yeah, it is yeah but uh how is uh like south african guitar traditions do you have any is, is there like a, a guitar tradition or do you have like a, an own thing i learned south i learned from a wonderful guitarist called uh nifa van der Skeef, who was a was a rock guitarist uh in the 60s in the tradition of like there was a big thing of cover bands mm-hmm. in Cape Town, especially in the Cape Flats area, which um, which which was kind of what District 6 became. This, this, this wild, um, you know, widely spread group of people, very musical, but now then totally killed, you know, creatively when, when District 6 was, was bulldozed and everyone was moved out to different areas around Cape Town. So there's a bunch of cover bands came up and basically they would listen to the radio, learn the songs and they would play them in the clubs. So he started in that, but he met a guitarist, a um, classical guitarist, who taught him, and of course he became, you know, much better than her very, very quickly. And he was a very special, wonderful musician, and who really understood, you know, the soul of the guitar, so to speak. And uh, so I studied with him, um, but it was a difficult. It was a difficult uh, apprenticeship because he was a, quite a troubled character, especially at that time, and and wasn't playing even, and it was a lot of chaos. So then I traveled a lot and learned with, with different people for short periods of time. So I would go for two weeks, learn three things, and then go home and you know apply them for a year. Nice. And, and, that's, and that was actually a really, it turned out to be a really interesting way, even though I found it very frustrating at the time, it was a really great way to learn because you just, you know, you really had to, you really had to just take in what you got and then make it work. Um, what was the question? No, <laughs> no. My question was kind of if there's like if there uh, is uh, uh, oh tradition like so, a tradition so, yeah. in Norway. Yeah. We, we don't really yeah. have no, that no. kind of like a particular guitar yeah. tradition. Yeah, Cape kind. Town is. I mean, South Africa is just. You know, I mean, it's been really killed music. You know, I mean, you can't you can't submit a people to that amount of trauma and separation and. You know, and still have a living, breathing musical tradition, you know. So we have these kind of limping remnants yeah. of, of, of traditions. And and classical guitar is part of, you know, the kind of attempt to represent classical music, you know, in, in the colony. Yeah. And, and we still have an orchestra largely run and played and populated by Russian musicians. Okay. And... You know, so I, that's that. You know, that's like any colonial country. You have an orchestra still, and people played classical guitar. And it's very was very divorced from anything that was you know from there and grown up there. What was amazing about Nifa is that he was connected to that through being part of the um, the, the group that uh, had a carnival every year called, um, and they they played this music called guma, mm-hmm. and and that was the roots of Cape jazz. 
so Mifa was part of that. He he used to, he was one of the directors for the choirs. They had these Cape Malay choirs that that sing um, around New Year, and there's a, there's a whole thing going on there. So he was connected to that, but mostly he just understood the guitar, and I think that's what he taught me was that you know the like Segovia said, you know, the soul of the guitar is, is a song, you know, whatever. There was that whole like cheesy <laughs> poem. Uh, so that you know, he told me that like you just transcend everything and you just work out what the guitar does. And I yeah. argued with him for years about that, and then I had to admit that he was right. You know, I said no, the music is important, and you've got to make the guitar work for the music. But really, it's the other way around. You know, you've got to find out what your guitar can do with the music, and if that means you leave out half the piece, yeah, um, and play half the tempo, and only play the first melody. That's what the guitar can say about it. And that's how you can make a version of a piece that was for piano on guitar and actually make it work. Yeah. In a way that people want to listen to. It's not like it's a bad copy or something. Oh, that's a really good philosophy, though. Yeah, it helps. <laughs> yeah, it helps if you're playing music, like the choral music, you know. So, yeah. So you end up with something that's successful in its own right because it really it brings out the resources of the guitar in, yeah. you know, in, in the way that you want it. It's not like, oh, that's very nice. Wow, cool, nice trick, but hey, nice to better, you know, it works on the Cora way better. <clears throat> but do the Cora style that you have been kind of like applied for your own uh, um, guitar, then you have the bass tones and then you have like a kind of pattern and then it's a like improvisation on top of that which for most of us other normal people seems like three things <laughs> done by two hands but do have yeah. you have you studied other stuff like that like the uh, like ragtime guitar players or like no. this and not any of the no i'm really I, 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 stuff for i played classical guitar really and and that's what i did on guitar mostly. yeah i i didn't i didn't do other stuff like that but the, the, so the jarabi is a great uh, piece to demonstrate how it works You have a combengo, which is the, it's called the legs of mm -hmm. the piece. Mm -hmm. And that's the simplest version of that is like this. It's even nicer if the guitar's in tune. <laughs> yeah. But that's the bass of the whole. Now, already that sounds like this. And with the accompaniment. But yeah. really, for a guitarist, it's one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, one, two, three, one, with a swing. Mm -hmm and shortening the bass. Then you have variations of, of this accompaniment. So increased, uh, you know, patterns, changed patterns in the right hand. So you could do... And then you could add a finger. patterns become less repetitive and more complex like like if I took that yeah and then I could expand that to melody cycles and a whole bunch of themes and you can leave them you can leave them for a while and 
that's how it develops. Cool, but uh, the three, uh, the trick in the beginning is that to kind of like just sit and do the the basic the patterns. base pattern. Yeah. So on my website, DerekRipper.com, you will find um, a Jarabi Cycles for Beginners under the learning guitar learning part, and you can download that, and it has about seven of the combangos that mm -hmm. you can learn. And then there's another score which is theme introduction to themes where you can learn some of the basic that's it that theme mm. once you have three combangos in that theme you have something you can start with one and then go to theme and then to a new theme i mean to a new already you have something you know and then you just keep building that and then there's the full score as well which is a, trans a transcription of what Tumani is doing where you actually have like you know an entire uh, thing and then a linear piece for people who want like an actual linear piece but what that linear piece is is really you know a, a modular you know construction of all these different parts and I don't even know the, the order that's in that score myself you know because okay, no. I just do different things with it but, uh, and that's the whole idea, right? The, the same as Jabat is doing, that they, they play uh, these themes or the song doesn't sound the same as... Every time, no. Every time, no. No, I mean, to my, I think his approach is slightly different in that he is, you know, he's keeping a bass line. He's doing it a bit more separate and able to pull that, I think. But it's, it's patterns that are in your fingers. Mm -hmm. You know, you know how the patterns work in Ragtime yeah, or something. Yeah. And you listen to it and you think, wow, like Tommy Emmanuel. You listen to him and you think, wow, how is he keeping that bass line with the thing? But you're keeping a pattern. In his, and yeah. the pattern and then what you can emphasize, you know. So, you know, I can play this like... And then it doesn't sound like anything but an arpeggio. But as soon as I go... maybe emphasize that or bring that down then suddenly you really have something so that's the trick is nuance emphasis and you know and that that's how you turn something that's actually a monochromatic pattern into multiple voices and also you know you, you, you're treating the note a bit so that it brings the mind oh that's something as opposed to that note yeah. that's something else that's so it's little tricks that the mind then follows and as soon as you've captured the mind in the bass with that short thing you don't have to make a short anymore because the mind has already separated that and it's magic yeah. you know oh that's super cool <laughs> do you play any uh, do you play any electric guitar still? I did a collaboration with a musician called Felix LeBand last year he's an electronic musician mm -hmm. wonderful South African um great great musician he's recorded a bunch of albums over the last 20 or so years we did a collaboration for the Cape Town International Jazz Festival and I played electric telly for that in the kind of Ali Farkature oh, yeah. style yeah. but other than that I haven't, <laughs> I haven't played electric for either. it messes up your nails it does yeah because you use your, you use yeah. your nails as well yeah well Debashish introduced me to finger picks now. <laughs> so yeah, I was like, okay. <laughs> okay, <you're gonna laughs> that's interesting. But have you uh, worked uh, like around, I guess that's kind of like a uh, quite popular thing in in, uh, in Norway though, the whole, um, at least uh, the guys 
after Ali Farquhar, all this, mm-hmm. like the Mobino and the yeah. Tina yeah. Lewin and all this, yeah, which is kind of cool. The God thing, yeah, yeah. that this uh, blues stuff. Is is that like uh, and also there's quite a lot of DJs playing like uh, uh, like guitar boys like Victory Wifels things and stuff okay. like that. Uh, but uh, uh, did you grow up like listening to those kind of things or was that like a did, uh, did you listen to like West African guitar music in South not Africa much when you grew up? No, no, no. I only came. I, I first heard West African music visiting my dad in London. Okay. Yeah. yeah, because there you got a much bigger West African community, and yes, um, he was sharing a house with a Senegalese guy, and so introduced to the, the, that music, and I and I and I think he took me to a Baba Mal concert. I mean, uh, Salif Keita concert oh, yeah. in Cape Town. Yeah. So that's that's how I first heard that music, and then got into that music all you know through listening to Khaled and Indian music, and you know starting to like later on when I was nineteen or so, and I exhausted Led Zeppelin. Not that you can. <laughs> um, you can actually it's, it's possible <laughs> probably Led Zeppelin as well took me in that you know when they did because the, that was around the time when they did the, that acoustic yeah. orchestral Egyptian thing and that you know so it came from from Zep into into all these other things I was listening yeah that's what I was listening to mostly nice yeah. just discovered like the West African rock like the psychedelic rock thing that happened in the 70s which is really really nice as well yeah it's amazing I'm, music yeah it is Amazing, there's lots of amazing stuff. <laughs> That's nice. But also, you uh, you uh, talk about the uh, the Indian stuff. Just mm. ask real quick about that. Was that the, did you play the violin then when you uh, studied in India? Yeah. Or I went to India with my violin viola mm-hmm. to study carnatic violin, and I realized, okay, these guys have got violins totally sorted. And I'm going to go home and I'm going to become a guitar player. Okay, so you quit after. Yeah, that was basically the definitive moment. I went home and I was like, okay, I'm going to learn to play guitar because these guys can't play guitar. I didn't know about Debashish. Yeah. So otherwise I wouldn't have bothered with guitar either. (laughs) Yeah, because I have some friends that went to India to do like lessons and stuff. But everyone says the same thing when you you come back, you've been there for three weeks and you learn like one phrase. Yeah, yeah. Or you... <laughs> and, then, and then you kind of talk to tabla players, or they, or and they, they have to sing for I don't know how many years before yeah, they're allowed to play. So I guess that's a whole nother devotion to. Yeah, I learned a lot playing. from. I was I was there for about a year altogether. Okay. And six, I did like a few months period where I studied the rhythmic theory, and that was great because it got me understanding rhythm as a series of syllables. Rather than you know, yeah, not in measures, but yeah, in, yeah. not like subdividing a beat, yeah, but actually being able to go, you know, and be able to break that. And I think that's what made this music easier for me to play because I understand rhythm like that. Mm-hmm. Like Jarabi, I understand it as three, three, two. Yeah. Whereas a classic, like I've given it to classical guitarists who wanted notated two, 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 two with yeah. emphasis off the beat. You know, they need to be able to see the beat, and for them to have three, three, two, one, two, three, one, two, you know, one, two. It doesn't make sense to them. Yeah, but so yeah. Again, it's the same as the tuning. It makes so much more sense to just think in phrases than in yeah. Yeah. So I guess that's the whole Indian thing. How is it possible to learn like long, long, yeah, half an hour lines? Amazing. Thinking phrasing. Yeah. So they they really yeah. <laughs> but how many uh, 
you recorded how many solo albums uh, from the uh, you have four solo like, albums so the solo first one albums. is the first one was on the eight string Blom Durance and then I made one called I had a break of a few years and then yeah. I made one called Ayo and then Kai Kai was the third one oh yeah and then Sound of Water was the one with Gismonti and me and then then there was One Night on Earth the, the, the first Cora one and then Libraries on Fire which was the next Cora one that I made last year yeah um, and then in between there I did the collaborations so I did the tabla one it was called Rising um, with Uday Mazumdar an incredible tabla player who lived with Ravi Shankar for 10 years and yeah wow it was, and we did a live live recording and then we have another recording that we recorded in Germany which we've never released but I'd love to do that sometime <laughs> nice. and, and then I did the trio the trio album the Sachte Flay and then the string quartet one before and then I did this project called Cassette Locale which was eight guitars um, oh. it's, and I, I created this whole compositional thing and like and made a sound installation which was performed as eight speakers in Sweden and and that was yeah that was for eight guitars um, with my ten strings it's the only project I did with the ten string okay nice yeah. and then there's an album called uh, Mali in, in Oak oh and Mali in Oak is something is that, that like I a... didn't release it, but it was released by Shakespeare's Globe in London oh yeah and that's a collaboration with the chorus player yeah. from there Jay Gede we played um, I was I was asked in 2013 to play with John Williams in the Globe Theatre and they invited a Cora player so that people would know what I was doing because they they assumed that people wouldn't know Cora. Oh, okay. So John and I and um, and John Etheridge did a trio night where I played solo in the first half and then they played their duo and then we played trio at the end. And then the next night or night before, um, Tunde and I did a duo we each played solo and then we played duo. And then the next year, John and I did duets together. Um, I wrote a whole <coughs> lot of duets for, for him um, with a guitarist called Risa Kota from Cape Town. And um, so we played those duets and Tunde and I did another concert together. And then we went into the Globe after the gig and we did the recording. So we'd only played together those three times. Oh, you know, okay. we didn't, yeah. you know, but we were playing similar repertoire, of course. Tunde is a born in London but studied in the Gambia mm-hmm. um, so yeah that's that Miley and Oak but yeah. the John Williams thing is quite uh, I guess that's a big thing in the <laughs> in the guitar world though yeah that was crazy I mean, how is he like John is amazing you, he's, he's a you got to know him very well yeah very well actually I'm going to go stay with him now my, when I go back to, to England now and yeah I see him when I visit and and he, he's really inspiring and he's he's got such a he's such a great guitar geek you know yeah <laughs> and he has such a joy and interest in guitar you know he'll he'll interrupt a perfectly nice conversation to ask you what kind of strings you use you know? and he has amazing he's, he's an incredible guitarist and you know every time that I, we've played three we've played three kind of series together probably four concerts um, and every time you're backstage and he's doing his solo and suddenly you realize, oh my gosh, that's John Williams, you know, and there's this, there's this specific <laughs> sound and ambiance yeah. that a guy who's been playing concerts for 70 years has, you yeah. know, or 60 years or whatever it is. Yeah. And wow. it's really incredible and great to play with him. And he's, he's really, he's great, you know, and he's very, mean, very supportive of, I'm excited about what I'm doing on guitar. Yeah. Wow. That's that's really really quite something. Yeah. 
No, interesting I, as well because you know I listened. To, I never saw John live until I played with him. So it was. It, oh really? Yeah. Was, yeah, they'd, they'd never been to South Africa. You know? So yeah, it's an interesting way to sort of exit the periphery of the guitar world and kind of you know interact with him. So. Wow, that's cool. I've got one more thing that I meant to ask you, uh, and that was yeah. You uh, have and <laughs> you uh, you play the chorus yourself. Uh, have, have you worked any of that, or do you have? Do you have a chorus? Yeah, so I I think in the 2010 maybe I decided I really wanted to play this music now, like, mm. I, and I didn't I couldn't play it on guitar. I remember I bought Tumani's album from 2009. He finally, 20 years later, recorded a new solo album. Yeah. And I remember sitting in my kitchen with a stereo trying to play this one. Which I thought it was nice and simple, you know, and it, but I couldn't really. I could make a sort of thing, but it wasn't, you know, it didn't work. And of course, it's like listening to Glenn Gould and saying, "I can work this out," yeah, you know, which you can't, you know, because so I didn't. And so then I thought I've got to get a chorus. And so my I, um, my cousin brought me one from Brighton. Mm -hmm. It's a nice roundabout way to get a chorus back to Southern Africa. <laughs> yeah. And so I played it like nonstop for six months. I was totally obsessed. And then one night I was sitting in, in, in my room and I was just improvising. And I was like, oh my God, this is totally what I've always wanted to be doing. Like I was, I was doing it. I was making the music I wanted to make. And the next day I couldn't make it again. And then I didn't play it ever again. I just stopped. And, and, that's, and about a year after that, I worked out how to transcribe it to guitar and then made that. To never... Yeah. So I haven't touched the chorus again. And actually, I lent it to someone and they moved and gave it away. And so it's gone. <laughs> and if you're listening, fuck you. <laughs> and you can say because there's like a fan that person will listen to this Norwegian podcast. I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll, um, oh, you, I'll, I can I'll send spam them, them with the link. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Right, Derek, thank you so much thank you. for uh, joining me on this. It was thank, thank an you for absolute pleasure. Yeah. Okay. You. Great stuff. Cool. Ciao. Thanks. All right. Det var dagens episode med fantastiske Derek Gripper. Neste uke kommer det mer podcast. Den episoden her, den er lagd i samarbeid med Vintage Guitar som ligger i Torgata i Oslo och så är er det sån att hvis du vill höra en teaser på nästa veckas episode så kommer det på hver tisdag på musiknyheter.no check ut den sidan. Vi snackar snart. Ha det. Producerat av Rubicon. 